Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. The Chamber of Commerce has come out with its, you know, I would like to call it a manifesto, but that's that when you hear manifesto now, you think of the Unabomber. So that's, that tends to have sometimes now a bad connotation. That's, it's not a bad connotation with this at all. It's their economic blueprint, they're calling it, for how the city of Hamilton should attempt to get started again and get rolling after we've basically shut so much down as a result of this pandemic. Well, what are they suggesting? How do we get the city economically rolling again? Bianca Caramento is the Manager of Policy and Government Relations with the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. She joins us now. Bianca, thanks for doing this today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Scott. Uh, Look, this is a timely thing because uh, certainly when we look around the city, we know how many different businesses have been affected and how much has been shut down and how important it is to try and get back up and going again. I mean, Hamilton, a lot of people would believe Hamilton had some momentum leading into this yeah. economically. Um, let, let's start on a very broad way here. Um, wh- what beyond what they're doing or just even with what they're doing, what should governments be doing at all levels to help businesses in this area? So in the economic blueprint for recovery, we lay out both long-term and short-term options uh, to for all three levels of government to consider uh, to sort of get the economy moving, but we're focusing here in Hamilton. So short-term, some of the immediate needs that businesses, that we've heard from businesses, have been along just basic things like supplying PPE. So PPE is an expense that a number of businesses hadn't expected that they were going to have to be paying for in their day-to-day operations, and that's a new expense on top of everything else that they're already doing. So in order to be able to secure their PPE, Uh, while maintaining a safe environment for their workers and their customers, helping businesses being able to supply that PPE at a cost that won't overburden their business would be one measure that the three levels of government could take right now in the short term to be able to help businesses moving forward as the reopening takes place. The report, uh, you mentioned in the report, uh, PPE, that's, and that's a huge one. Again, not only because of the cost, but even just getting it for some people, it's difficult to be able to do that and you can't really open without it. So yeah, absolutely. Um, your report also talks about the federal government perhaps should extend CERB, which I know they're not going to, or at least they're talking now about moving people into unemployment, but uh, right. CEWS, CEBA, uh, other ones, the, fe- the province should forgive deferred payments. Uh, the city should delay property taxes and lower some license costs, and there's other things there. Um, I suppose this is going to be a recurring theme as we talk, but um, how do we pay for that? How do the governments pay for that? Because, as you know, right now they are all, all levels are swimming in deficits. How do they, it's important, but how do they cover those costs? I think the answer is different depending on the level of government that you're speaking to. So in the report, we highlight the fact that there needs to be some sort of support for municipal governments. Municipal governments can't legally run a deficit spending. It's, it's, it's not within their mandate to do so. So that's why you've seen a number of municipalities, Hamilton included, request that the federal government help support their budgetary needs. And the province and the feds have responded to that call with about $4 billion in funding for municipalities in Ontario. Whether or not that's going to be sufficient to be able to pay for the deficit and the budget shortfall that we see in Hamilton and across Ontario is questionable. So if they received a total of $4 billion, and to put it into context, Toronto's deficit shortfall is around $1.3 billion, and that's one city alone, right? So... Whether or not municipalities will get enough money to be able to 
to suffice the budget that they're currently seeing as a result of COVID-19, it will require federal and provincial um, support. When it comes to the provincial budget, as well as the federal government, when it comes to where they will find the money to be able to, to pay for these in the long run, at the end of the day, if we don't put money into our economy to create that stimulus and ensure that businesses come back and create further jobs, further tax revenue, it's going to be even harder for governments to recoup their revenue if they aren't trying to stimulate the economy. So that has to be sort of the first step prior to trying to figure out how to recoup and what that might look like. Right. So in other words, uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, the yeah. private sector does run the country. It, it, it not runs the country. I don't mean it that way. It, it fuels the the economy for the country. You, you, If you have a healthy private sector, you can then have a healthy public sector. You need to have the private sector going. Absolutely. And it's almost sort of like a chicken and the egg situation here, right? Because so on one hand, private sector, public uh, and, and not-for-profits, they require that government investment, but the government requires businesses and the not-for-profit sector to be up and running and producing goods, producing tax dollars and tax revenue in order to be able to continue to pay for services. So it really is a, a cycle between the two. And that makes a ton of sense. And I think anyone who doesn't understand that is intentionally trying not to. We need to have the private sector going to create the the money so that we can pay for taxes and pay for the services and the programs and everything. Now, when we move on, it, it, again, in the uh, in the recommendations and your economic blueprint plan, one of the big ones, and this is one that, of course, uh, in this city, uh, three magical words that always inspire loving conversations among everybody on all sides of the aisle, LRT. <laughs> we, oh, yeah. we know, yeah, we know that one. Um, one of your recommendations for long-term recovery is to get going on the LRT. And I'll go back to my question, um, knowing that the province has said they're in for a billion and as part of that $4 billion that you talked about from the federal and provincial government, I think a billion was going to be put towards transit, although not necessarily all in Hamilton. And we've heard now the LRT is a $3 billion project and our city is $60 million, something like that, in a deficit. I, I, again, it, it may be one of those ideas that has a lot of merit, but how do we pay for it? So in this case, this is where we look at infrastructure stimulus spending that the federal government has already hinted that they're looking to do in addition to the support that they've provided towards municipalities. So a lot of that transit funding that you cited earlier is really to help out different transit bodies throughout municipalities across Canada to be able to deal with the fact that they didn't have the ridership that they're used to during the pandemic. So it's to help sort of get them out of the hole, whereas infrastructure spending would be in addition to that. So Minister McKenna, as the infrastructure minister federally, has already made very clear that should the provincial government uh, approach the feds for funding for the Hamilton LRT in particular, she is all year, ears. She's just simply waiting for them to, to reach out and make that, that known. Um, we expect to hear some form of, of uh, decision based on the task force's recommendations that's sort of sitting at the provincial level right now in September. Uh, so we're hoping to see this project get picked back up again. Contrary to any other sort of infrastructure spending project here in Hamilton, when it comes to transit, there's very few projects out there, and I would venture to say across Canada, where you have all the plans already made, all the environmental assessments already completed, all the properties almost entirely purchased already. So this is really just a shovel-ready project, which is exactly the sort of infrastructure spending the federal government would likely be looking to do post-recovery. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bianca, some though have said uh, as a result of COVID, our lives and the way we do things have changed so dramatically that we may in the future be seeing a lot fewer people commute and a lot fewer people need public transit because they can work from home now. Does it change anything at all? If Do we need to restudy this thing before we dive in? I, I know it's infrastructure and I know that we can have the the benefit from that, but do we need to look at this again as whether or not it, it works for us now? Well, I think partially some of, some of those conversations about how much there's going to be an impact on overall demand for transportation might be slightly overstated. So yes, you may not have have to uh, commute as often. It depends on your job, quite frankly. So if you're in Hamilton, if you're working in manufacturing, you can't work from home, as an example. If you're working at McMaster, you can't work at home. Um, That said, there will be an impact, no question. But the idea of any sort of transit project is that you're not just responding to current demand, you're responding to future demand as well. So as we see further intensity and development in the downtown core of Hamilton, there will be that greater demand for transit ridership whether that's going to work or whether that's just going to a local shop uh, down the street on King, as an example. So I think while the point you raise is, is an interesting one, I'm not sure it devalues the proposition for LRT. The, um, your report also says that um, it says we are committed to working with the city of Hamilton and the province to secure additional LRT funding from the private sector and or the federal government. Uh, you've, you've, yes, clearly the federal government has expressed some interest with Catherine McKenna. What about private sector? Is Are there companies out there that are interested in contributing or paying for part of the LRT? It's my understanding that that's the case. So there are a number of, of uh, developers in and around the core who have already invested in properties surrounding the transit corridor uh, that have a vested interest in making sure that the project moves forward. So I would imagine that should this project be back on the table, we'll be able to hear exactly who would be willing to put dollars and cents towards the project uh, and just how much that contribution might be. Uh, there are a number of other things in this report. Uh, really interesting. And by the way, before we're not done, but I would encourage people to go to the Chamber of Commerce website and look this up. It is it is an interesting read for sure. One of the other things that's in there is um, that you, the Chamber is throwing its support behind the 2026 Commonwealth Games. Um, Again, there are a lot of people who think this could cost the city a lot of money. I know the organizers have said it's going to be largely private sector or heavily private sector. Um, Why would the Commonwealth Games help us get back on our feet? Right. So I'd start by saying that until we have the full proposal in front of us, I don't generally try to judge things until I have full information to begin with. So until we hear sort of the details, I believe on August 10th, I sort of pulled back from making those judgments as to whether or not it's going to be a huge uh, financial burden on any particular group. That said, when it comes to the Chamber's uh, support for the the Commonwealth Games, it is dependent on the federal government uh, stepping in, as well as the provincial government stepping in to provide that support in addition to the city. Um, For us, it's a matter of there's there's a number of things that that led to our support. So for one, we see a, a huge need for things like affordable housing. And it's been made very clear to us that through this Commonwealth Games, there will be the creation of an athlete's village that will later be provided as a source of affordable housing for Hamilton. Prior to COVID, prior to anything, uh, any sort of major recession going on, affordable housing was a need that existed in Hamilton. um, And it will continue to be a need that, that we need to fill. So 
the affordable housing alone is, is a big uh, aspect of what we support. We also see the investments and the economic uh, impact of having a number of both tourists and athletes in our city for that time. We see value in, in uh, any sort of procurement model that might take place as a result of the game. So I'll give you an example. Um, during the, the Vancouver Olympics, one of uh, the assets of that game was that um, there was a local procurement. So they needed wreaths and bouquets of flowers for the athletes. They made sure that they sourced it from a local women's group um, within Vancouver during the Olympics. That sort of local procurement model is something that we've certainly pushed for as a part of the Commonwealth Games, and we'd love to see that economic impact and those dollars spent within the city of Hamilton. Uh, so for those reasons, uh, we're largely in support of, of the Games insofar as we see that federal and provincial support as well. I have 30 seconds left here and I, I don't want to end it on a down note. So I want you to, uh, to keep us positive here, but um, what if we don't get this? I mean, look, we know, again, we know that the governments are trying right now to figure out how to cut costs because they're all spending like crazy. What if they all say, I'm sorry, we don't have the dough. What, what happens to Hamilton's economy in the recovery here? Well, so our entire economic recovery blueprint has a number of different facets to it, far beyond the Commonwealth Games. So it's not, this isn't the linchpin to our economic blueprint and our economic recovery. Oh no, I'm uh, talking about the whole process. I'm talking about the whole blueprint. If, if they say, I'm sorry, these things, LRT, Commonwealth Games, all these things, if we can't do this, if there's just not then, money to spend, then what? Then frankly, the Hamilton Chamber and, and our advocacy hasn't been doing our job properly. So we're already in conversation with different levels of government for each and every one of our recommendations. And we wouldn't put them in the blueprint if we didn't think that there was a practical, uh, feasible way for, for this to get to get passed in some way, shape, or form. Whether or not we get each and every recommendation enacted by different levels of government is a different story. Uh, but we certainly think that the recommendations that are included in this document are something that are feasible, despite the fact that there are restraints on, on government spending. It is, uh, as I say, I encourage people who are interested in the goings-on of this city and the operations of this city to go to the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce website and take a look. The document is there. It is a, it's an interesting read. It'll take a few minutes, but uh, worth your time. Bianca Caramento, Manager of Policy and Government Relations for the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.